0: Good morning. It is so good to be back with you this morning. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be away. Uh, Cole and I will be celebrating 20 years of marriage this summer. And so, yes, Aristide, yes. I love it. Aristide, it's having you guys bring so much joy and celebration, and we need that. You know, we need that in the church is the celebration of things that bring joy to God's heart. And Enduring marriages are one of those things. Um, And so thank you guys for allowing us to go away, to be able to celebrate that in advance by going to the nation of Israel. Um, It was a life-changing experience um, for me as a pastor, just in preaching and teaching God's Word. And it was just a wonderful time to be able to journey with others, Um, some others from First Baptist, but also just others from different churches to be able to have fellowship. In fact, we got a couple of pictures uh, from the journey i don't know let's see there we go so this is cole and i we're in front of a gate this is what's so amazing when you go over there is we're literally standing in front of a gate that abraham would have gone to so just like, Let that sink in for a second. Abraham, thousands and thousands of years ago, would, would have walked up and seen the very gate behind us. It's sealed in now so because they think it'll just collapse if they take the dirt out from that hole. But Abraham himself would have walked through that gate. And then the next picture is, is Cole and I were on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walked on those waters. Um, Jesus spoke to those waters and said, Be still. And they were. Um, just an incredible joy to see that. And then the final picture. This was an opportunity for me to be able to share God's Word um, for Matthew 24 and 25, and that's where I, I want to invite you to turn today. I know that in the work planning uh, for worship email, it said Philippians chapter 2, but for reasons that I hope will become clear, um, we're going to wait on that. But where I am in this moment and reading the passage that you're going to hear in just a moment is in the place where Jesus would have spoken those words originally, um, on the Mount of Olives, overlooking and behind me is the, is the, the city of Jerusalem. Um, where he would have been looking and and, and speaking to them, a a message of urgency. It was a message of urgency, and I believe it's a message of urgency for us today as well as we look out upon our own city. You see, as we look out upon our own city today, there is concern about the city of New Orleans. There's concern about the crime in our city. There's concern about the lawlessness in our city. There's concern about the shootings in our city. Um, there's concern about the homelessness in our city. There's concern about the education in our city. There's concern about the, the cost of living in our city. Can I get an amen? You know, there's, a, there's all of these concerns as we look out across our city and we say, you know, man, what, what, what is, what's the point? Why, why stay here? Why stay in a city like New Orleans when I could go somewhere else and it might be easier? Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to continue to remain here till God moves you to remain here and to let his word be the orientation for why you're here. You say, well, Chad, I'm here because of a job. No, you're here for something more. Chad, I'm here just because, you know, this is where my school is. I'm just passing through. No, you're not. God brought you here for something far more than just a pass through, flyover. You're not here as a tourist. You're not here as just somebody for a moment. You are called to be here and to live in such a way that the urgency of Jesus Christ is all over your life. The urgency of his mission characterizes your day-to-day. Not just your Sunday morning, but your day-to-day. We need to look out over our city as Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and spoke to his disciples a message of urgency so that we will live right and make the most of the days. That's what Paul calls us to. That's what Jesus was orienting them to, was a life, a perspective that would give them an urgency, give them a clarity, give them a mission that will matter hundreds and thousands of years after you and I are gone. Hundreds and thousands of years after the buildings and the culture and everything of this city is gone, that will matter for all of eternity. So I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, and I'm only going to read the first two verses in this moment to set the stage, and then we're going to look after a little while at the rest of this passage. But hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came and called his attention to its buildings. Its buildings would have been amazing. They would have been something to be in in, in awe of. The size of the stones, the stature of the building, all of these things, the walls, everything. And he replied to them, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. Will you pray with me? God, this passage meets us right in a moment where It's the very things that captivate us about a city that you say won't endure. But then it's your word, Jesus, that we need to receive to help us to understand what matters in this brief gift you give us of a life. In this place that is a gift to live in, this city, So that it will matter for your glory for all of eternity. So, Lord, please orient us by your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Our love for this city must exceed a love for things about our city that won't endure. Our love for New Orleans must exceed the things that won't endure about this city, buildings. St. Louis Cathedral, you go down, that's one of the more historic buildings, as well as the surrounding French quarters, to be able to look around and to see that area and these old buildings and their their Napoleonic governance of building code and slate roofs and all of these things, those things will not endure. One day, They will all come down. In fact, the original St. Louis Cathedral burned. And that one's a replacement of what was original. It's important for us to know that these things that we look at and we say, man, this is what everybody comes to see. This is what's so cool about our city. Uptown, the Garden District, all of these areas, they will come to ruin. But so will some of the other things. In the paper today, it's got the list every Mardi Gras parade. One day, the parades won't roll. They'll be forgotten. People will find beads and other things one day in the dirt of New Orleans and say, I wonder what this was about. The music. We turn through the Psalms, and many times the Psalms are, you know, to the to the shigamith. There's something like that, you know, and it's like, What's the sugar myth? You know, like, I don't know. What's that tune? You know, is it kind of beboppy or slow? What is it? We don't know because music fades. Food. We love our food. Everybody loves uh, Randazzo's or Dong Fong or another one that causes controversy during this season. Cake. One day, uh, people won't know what a king cake is. It'll pass away although they may be in heaven. Culture, cultures fade, cultures change, they they pass. But if you and I are honest, sometimes we say that's what we love about our city. And that's unique, right? We have a unique culture. There are some things that make New Orleans, New Orleans and why people wanna come from all over to come here. But you and I, we're of another kingdom. That's part of the point that Paul makes over in Philippians that we're gonna get to. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we live here in a way that demonstrates that we love in a way that exceeds the things that the world loves about the world. We must be those who live in this city with an orientation that changes the culture, that shapes the culture, that at times lives contrary to the culture. And that's what Jesus is having to speak to. His disciples are saying, look at the buildings, look at the culture. Look at these things, and in some ways, they're probably despising them because it wasn't the original temple. It wasn't the original governance that God had intended. There was a Roman occupation, and so you've got all of these tensions going on, but still, it was something to behold. And Jesus says, not one stone will be left on another. And then he brings his disciples while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which would have been just up a hill, just imagine kind of a a ditch, and then almost like this ascending hill right at the bottom of the temple mount, where they could have gone up and looked at the temple and looked at Jerusalem. They could have seen almost every house in Jerusalem during those days from that perspective, and they're overlooking it, and then Jesus begins to teach them. And what I'm going to do right now, I don't often do, but I'm going to read two chapters of text, and I'm going to read it quickly. But I just want you to hear the big message, because sometimes as a pastor, when you slow down and you just do one little unit at a time, you miss the big picture. But likely, this would have been a summation of Jesus's teachings that he gave at this perspective, but Matthew in particular puts it toward the end of his gospel because there is an urgency to it. There there is an orientation to it, and it's going to precede then a rapid movement to the cross and then to his burial, and then to his resurrection, and then to the Great Commission, and then we know that that goes right into the ascension. And so all of this is taking place in Matthew's gospel for a reason, and we need to receive that urgency today as we look out across our own city in this moment at the beginning of 2023. So hear the word of the Lord. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen? Most likely referring to when, when is one stone not going to be left on another? Them thinking, when will, Roman, when will Roman occupation be over? When will the Romans be done and we come back into our glory? We know this because of the question that they ask after the resurrection at the beginning of Acts. They, they ask him, is now the time where you will restore all things? And there's many who look even now at modern day Israel and they say, Israel has come back into existence as a nation in the late 1940s. And so like, is this the time? Question's been being asked for 2,000 years. Is now the time But Jesus is gonna speak a message in this moment that's been true for all 2,000 years that we've been asking the question, is now the time? Tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for on that time, For at that time, there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. If anyone tells you then, see, here's the Messiah over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance, See, if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storerooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all peoples of the earth will mourn. And they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were at the coming of the Son of Man, it will be. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them away that this, this is the way the, son, the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be, grind, will be grinding grain at the handmill, One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready because the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him. And in an hour, he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in their flask with the lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone out to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him in the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins came also and said, Master, Master, open for us. And he replied to them, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. For it is just like a man going on a journey. He called out to his servants and entrusted his possessions to them, "'To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, depending on each man's ability. "'Then he went on a journey. "'Immediately the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. "'In the same way the man with two earned two more. "'But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. "'After a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them.' The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. So I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who received one talent approached also and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him and throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another, one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was a prisoner and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. God's word to you as people intended to give you orientation and perspective as you look out over the city that God has placed you in. There are three commitments that I call us to today as your pastor. And they're found here in this text that I want us to take to heart today. And the first is this, commit to making disciples of all nations. Commit, commit, say yes to making disciples of all nations. Look at chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus is he's predicting persecution that will take place, lawlessness that will multiply, the love of some growing cold, which is exactly what we see during times of persecution mentioned in the the letter of Revelation from John, love growing cold. We read this, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There are many today who say, I'm just ready for the end to come. I want to see more people who prove that they're ready for the end end to come, who are committed to making disciples of all nations. I want us to be a people characterized by the aspect of character that we see in John at the end of Revelation saying, come Lord Jesus. But he's on the island of Patmos because he's been committed to making disciples of all nations. It's because of his faithfulness to Christ and to the church and to the expanse of the gospel that led him to be persecuted and led him to say, come, Lord Jesus. But why? Why should we make this commitment to making disciples of all nations What urgency is there for you and I in this passage that should lead us to say, yes, Lord, I will obey the command of Christ in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, to make disciples of all nations. Chapter 25, verse 32. All nations will be gathered before him, that is the son of man, when he comes into his glory, verse 31, and he will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. As we were traveling on the road one day in Israel, we looked to the side and our guide said, look over here, there's a shepherd and if you'll notice, all of the sheep and the goats are together. This is something unique about the way that we do shepherding here in Israel. In most places, the goats are all shepherded together and the sheep are all together. But here in Israel, we bring them all together and they all travel as one. And so the audience then would have known exactly what he was talking about, that there did come a day when you separated the sheep from the goats. You get a different product from the sheep than you do from the goats. There is a difference in the two, but on a day-to-day basis, it looks as though they're just mingled and coexisting, but there will come a day of separation. And you see this separation. You see the end in this passage of the separation. There is an entry for those who belong to him, and there is a final exit for those that do not. And that exit is said to be into eternal punishment, but righteous into eternal life. Brothers and sisters, there is an urgency in the task of making disciples of all nations. We are informed in Scripture again and again that no one can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. There is an urgency for Paul as he writes to the church in Rome about the need for men, women, boys, and girls to hear the gospel. How can they be saved, he says, unless they hear? Faith comes through hearing the hearing from the word of God. Brothers and sisters, there is an urgency in our city for the gospel. You say, but Chad, there's an urgency for education. There's an urgency for the gospel. Chad, there's an urgency for access to healthcare. There's an urgency for the gospel. And so why don't we be those who in education bring the gospel? Why don't we be like those at Baptist Community Health Services who are doing healthcare in an incredible way and bringing the gospel? Let's you and I be the ones who in the very places God has placed us are bold with the gospel. Chad, can you guarantee I won't get in trouble? I won't get my hand slapped? Not at all. In fact, I can almost promise you, you will. Because Jesus said there will be persecution. There will be difficulty. If there's persecution and difficulty, even within immediate nuclear families, then there's certainly going to be difficulty and persecution. And you say, well, Chad, it's easy for you. It's your job. You actually get paid to tell the gospel. I have the deepest respect and love for each one of you. But I do not apologize. I am not going to minimize the call on your life as followers of Jesus Christ to make disciples, to be bold with the gospel in this city. God has given you a mission field. And if you want a taste of the full life, a life full of his spirit, a life where you experience the very heart of God, then say yes, commit your life to making disciples of all nations. Second in this passage, we see this, commit to being alert, commit to being alert. The word translated alert in this passage also means to be in constant readiness, to be in constant readiness, to be in constant readiness. Matthew 24, verse 42, we read this. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Sorry, wrong verse. 24 verse 42. Therefore be alert since you don't know the day your Lord is coming. Be alert. Why? Because you don't know the day your Lord is coming. Be constantly ready. Be constantly ready. Matthew chapter 25 verse 13. Therefore Be alert. Why? Because you don't know either the day or the hour. And can I just tell you, watch out for those who will tell you, but he didn't say you won't know the month or year. And there's a lot of people who have bought that bait and said, well, he's right, he didn't say the month or the, the year. Do you think that's the point? That we'll know the month or the year? Brothers and sisters, there are entire cults who have propagated the year, who have propagated the season. And they'll use these words, seasons. We see seasons. No, we won't know the day or the hour. That's why we're to live ready. You're, re- you're to be ready at all times. Be alert. But here's where we need to begin to be good students of the word and to say, well, what does it mean to be alert we can begin to look at how this exact word is used in other passages to help us to understand what does it mean to be alert Acts chapter 20 verse 31 therefore be on the alert Paul says to the church at Ephesus, to the elders that gathered with him at the beach who were weeping and had to literally be torn away from him as he was on his way to Rome where he would eventually die. This is a church where Paul invested years of his life and his own heart into them. This was a, a deep bond between a, a spiritual leader and those spiritual children that had learned under him like a father and a son being separated for a final time. Get the scene. And he says to them, Be alert be alert remembering that night and day for 3 years i never stopped warning each of you with tears it means that we live in light of the warnings that we receive it means we take to heart when god's word says do not and we heed his word when it says do we live in light of his discipline 1 corinthians chapter 16 verse 13 be alert Paul says, but then he follows it with stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Our alertness will be characterized by standing firm in the faith, by courage, by strength, by love. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake. That's the word. Be alert. And be self-controlled. Being alert means I'm denying my flesh when it cries out for things that are of this world. When it calls me to, to, to take a little more, to be a little more selfish, to gratify my flesh, to turn my eye. I stay awake. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Be sober minded, be alert. There's the word again. Why? Your adversary, the devil, is prowl, prowling around like a, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour him, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You're not alone. You're not alone. There are men and women, brothers and sisters, right now who are losing everything, even their lives, for the sake of this gospel. You're not alone. Revelation chapter three, verse two, be alert. Be alert, strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Speaking to the to the churches, speaking to this church. Be alert. Revelation chapter sixteen, verses fourteen through sixteen. For there are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of that great day, the Almighty. Look, I'm coming like a thief. Sound familiar from our passage today? Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that you may not go around naked and people see his shame. We're not to live in a shameful way. We shouldn't live as as though someone walked into the room and we were naked and we say, oh, I'm embarrassed. No, there should be a a nobility about how we live at every moment as though our entire lives we remain clothed so they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon all of these passages reiterating to us the need the urgency to be alert brothers and sisters be alert commit to being alert Commit to doing what his word says to do. Commit to avoiding the things that his word says to avoid. Be alert. There is an adversary. There is an evil one. He's like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. Be alert. Be in a constant state of readiness. Do not do things behind closed door that if someone opened it, it would be as if they caught you naked. Be alert. This is what he's reiterating. This is what he's saying to us and calling us in this time of waiting to do is to be alert, be ready. Ready for what? Ready for his coming. Ready for his coming. And what does he expect us to to be doing when he comes in that alert status? Third, commit to doing your job. Commit to doing your job the specific aspect of this very common word throughout the New Testament is to carry out the obligation of a moral or social nature. In other words, it has to do with how we relate to one another. This specific aspect is that our job has to do with how we love one another. We have a responsibility, you and I in this room, to one another. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in this community. Regardless of the background of that church, the race of that church, the size of that church, we have a mutual king. We should have a mutual love. Matthew 24, verse 46, we read this. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. What was the job in this passage? Well, verse 45 says this, to give them food at the proper time. Jesus said to Peter when he's reinstating him after his three-prong denial, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? With each one of those, he says, something that will benefit his people. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. We are to be scripture-fed, brothers and sisters. We are to feast on his word together. Why do your job? Chapter 25, verse 21, we read this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Those words said to the man who had been given five talents and earned five more and gave all ten back to his master. They're yours. He didn't say, Well, I made the five with yours, so those five are mine, and here's your five back. No, all ten are yours. It's all yours. And the man with two gave him the four. He didn't say, well, you gave me two, so here's your two back, but I earned two with it. No, it's all yours. But the one with one, the one who buried it in the ground like you and I are tempted to do with the gospel, just to take that treasure and bury it in the ground and then to stand before him one day and say, I believed, I believe. here's your gospel back. And he said, you were supposed to invest that gospel. You were supposed to take that gospel and see others come into my kingdom so that you all come back as servants and hear me speak to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. But if we show up to him and we say, here's your gospel back, then that's proof that we never believed that gospel. There'll be no entering into his joy in that moment. He says so. So that brings us into this reality of what he's saying. Make disciples of all nations. Put my gospel to work. Be alert while you're out there because there is a lion walking around looking to devour you. Don't give in to the temptation to believe somebody. Oh, he's over here. Oh, it's coming. Oh, here's a new book. Here's a new podcast. Here's a new preacher you all need to be listening to. no. Be alert. Stop being so gullible. Stop being so easily taken advantage of. Cling to my word. Eat. Feast together. So what's our job? Well, it's two-pronged. James in chapter 2, verse 8 says this. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself you're doing well. You're doing well. Brothers and sisters, it starts in the house and the family of God. When Jesus goes through and he says that you've done these things for these brothers and sisters of mine, it's clear he's speaking about his own family. His disciples, those that say we have God as our father. But then Paul helps us to understand that we're to do good to the household of faith and to everyone else. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then second, make disciples of all nations. The great command and the great commission, these will be what characterize us. And so today, I ask you, to commit yourself to this three-pronged reality that we see in this word. Commit yourself to making disciples of all nations, to commit to being alert, and to commit to doing your job. Why? Because the job has already been done for what is needed for yours and for my salvation. When Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, he said these words, it is finished. That's the good news that we bring to this city and to all nations. Everything needed for your salvation. I've just been surrounded by thousands upon thousands of people who made it as if What Jesus said is, it's not finished until you touch the rock on which I was crucified. It's not finished until you touch the rock on which I was born. It's not finished until you touch the rock on which my dead body was laid, where it's prepared for burial. And it's not finished until you touch the rock of my tomb from which I rose. People who are desperate to get in there and just touch the rock. Brothers and sisters, we have a rock we have a rock that will never be moved. We have that stone rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's what you and I build our lives on. And you say, how? How do we build our lives on it? By believing this gospel. I wanna invite you to to open the, the piece where the bread is and to take this small piece of bread and to hear these words that Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take in remembrance of him, thanking him for his finished work for us at the cross. And now I invite you to open the juice side. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and so we take in remembrance of him for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes until he comes brothers and sisters Until he comes. Jesus said you won't know the day or the hour. Therefore commit yourself to making disciples of all nations. Commit yourself to being alert. Don't be deceived. So that you will be ready. And do your job. Love one another. Love one another. Make disciples of all nations. Because he will come. And so we commit ourselves to remembering and two, proclaiming this gospel. Will you pray with me, Father, in these moments of worship? We are so grateful. But we know, Father, that in a moment like this, there's always someone who's here today who didn't need bread or juice. They need Jesus. They need what these things remind us of. They need the gospel. And so, Lord, for the one here today, maybe the one who's watching online in this very moment, I pray that their faith will not be in the things they can touch. A rock that they can touch. A small amount of juice or wine or a little piece of bread that they can eat, but their faith will be in Jesus Christ and in what he did for them on the cross. Their faith will be that you rose your son from the grave and that he has victory over sin and death. That the only way that we can have life eternal and and the only way that we can have forgiveness of sins in this life is through Jesus Christ. So Lord, please make us faithful to your word. Help us to bring this gospel to New Orleans and all nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing a song to celebrate in this moment. I invite you to stand. But if you're that one here today who's never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you in this moment to come forward in this time.